Hello and welcome to B2B Better, a podcast for B2B professionals looking to be better than boring with their marketing. My name's Jason. I've spent the last 10 years building content, social, and communication plans to help B2B companies hit their brand and revenue goals. Every week, I break down the strategies and tactics that you should be thinking about in a fun-sized, actionable chunks, usually with an expert from the field. This is real advice for B2B professionals who want to be better. Let's go. So today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Bethan Vincent, marketing consultant, uh, a fantastic marketing consultant who has uh, a lot of experience working with technology companies. How are you doing, Bethan? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you here. We've been uh, talking a lot on Twitter um, over the mm-hmm. last few months, um, and it is always a pleasure to move the conversation from uh, uh, online to the to the airwaves. Um, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about your experience um, in uh, marketing with small teams and scarce resources. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about you. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your career to date and, and what you do today? Yeah, sure. So I've had a very um, squiggly career to date. Uh, I didn't go to university and study anything to do with marketing. I did medieval history, which on reflection probably doesn't set you up for life in the 21st century so well, but that's fine. Um, After university, I set up a couple of businesses, some more successful than others, a couple of failures in there, but taught me a lot and actually made me realize I enjoyed the marketing side of running a business more than the business side Mm. of it. So um, completely self-taught marketeer from there. I did some consulting, um, worked for University of York for a little bit in one of their marketing departments and then kind of made my way into technology by accident. Um, Ended up being marketing manager at ByteMark, which is a cloud computing company based in York. And that was a really good kind of introduction to the world of tech. Graduated from there to marketing director at NetSales. And I've just left NetSales to set up my own marketing consultancy for tech companies. So it all kind of, yeah, comes from strange origins, but wraps up in the end. <laughs> Very exciting. And, and hearing that story, I mean, anyone who's listened to B2B uh, better in the past knows that, you know, my background as well is not a conventional marketing one. Um, I didn't do medieval history, though that sounded amazing. I've always been a bit of a history nut. Um, I did drama and theater. Um, at university and very much fell into this wonderful world of a marketing career um, from then. But in fact, you know, I think I, 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 I talk to a lot of people who've gone and gotten, you know, uh, conventional marketing educations and, you know, credit to them. It's 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 not easy going. But I, 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 I think that, you know, rounding your experience out across different disciplines and fields can only help um, you in a career in marketing. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. And I sometimes go back to my old university and give talks to kind of the humanities uh, students. And I say, you know, a lot of marketing is is figuring out other people. You know, it's kind of psychology, part psychology, part kind of history in the sense of everyone has an opinion and an angle. and You've got to work out where they're coming from. So, I mean, to be honest, any degree you'll do, they're teaching you how to think. That's why you're at university. And that will be helpful in this world and likewise if you don't go to university real world experience is super useful as well so you kind of can't lose 
Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, how to run a successful marketing function within a business, particularly when resources are tight, both from a budget and from a people point of view, which uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Um, that is your sweet spot. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you think are the minimum requirements for a high functioning marketing team uh, in a B2B company. Yeah, so like you say, this is my sweet spot. This is where I've operated. I've never worked for a big multinational, you know, with millions, billions of dollars to throw up marketing. And really kind of when you're setting out with a small team, maybe you're the first marketing hire somewhere. The first thing to do is to get stakeholder buy-in and stakeholder alignment. Because I think unless, well, lots of people understand marketing in the sense of they know what it is, they know why it's important, but they don't necessarily know what it involves or what the best way of doing it is. So you may be in an environment where, you know, you're reporting to people who they they think they get marketing, but they may not get, get it. So really sitting down and having that conversation about, you know, these are our goals. These are kind of the, the things we're aiming for. These are some of the tactics we're going to try is super important. And wider than that, trying, especially if you're working in a tech company where, you know, you'll be talking to the product managers and the engineers a lot, getting those kind of cross team channels going. So speaking to other departments, working out how you can add value to them, how they can add value to you as well. It's a two way thing. And then finally, I think it's about having that clear strategy in place from the beginning. And the, a lot of businesses, when they first start out with marketing, they rush to the tactical execution, which is kind of fine. You know, you've got to do something, but you need that strategic piece. You need that kind of high level overview of what's going on to really begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, to, to your point, everyone knows what marketing is because we're getting bombarded with it all the time, you know, both in our professional and our personal lives. And I think getting that buy-in early on, as you say, that it is very easy for us to go out there and just start throwing a bunch of stuff into the world and seeing what sticks. But actually, mm-hmm. is that just going to is that going to deliver any meaningful results is super important. You need to sit down with those key stakeholders at the start and say, what does marketing success mean for us like what does it what do we actually want to see as a tangible result at the end because we can go out and start a tiktok we can go out and start talking on clubhouse we can start you know uh, adopting the trend of the day but unless you can tie it back to business success which is an early conversation to have yeah there's kind of no point in doing it would you say yeah definitely and i think it's also talking it talking to your stakeholders and making them understand that some things will be an investment that may not pay off for a period of time. So SEO is one everyone talks about in this regard. You know, especially if you're starting from a cold start, you're you're gonna be waiting six to 12 months before you start seeing any real tangible impact of that. But you've got to invest in it. You've got to go through, I guess it's kind of growing pains initially to get to that point. And it's being quite candid with the fact that some of the stuff you're gonna do is not gonna work that's the fun of marketing in a way it's all little experiments and mini bets and you you've got to have a culture that's comfortable with failure comfortable with things having to pivot and you're going to waste some budget that's inevitable i think yeah absolutely and and that's just part and parcel of what it means to have a a high functioning marketing team if they're doing if everything is coming back as you expect i think it's safe to say that you're probably not taking enough risks and you know that's where you end up seeing a lot of boring bland gray b2b marketing out there because everyone's just doing the things that either their competitors are doing or that they've always done um uh because it because it feels safe um but actually they are 
pre- preventing themselves from maximizing an opportunity to stand out from the crowd, which is just so important when you're a B2B company. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not safe, is it? Doing what everyone else is doing is it's kind of perceived as safe, but it's mm. really not because A, all the channels become oversaturated with people looking the same, sounding the same, and B, you're as soon as someone kind of steps out and does something different and pushes themselves ahead of the pack, you're going to be racing to catch up. That's really not a good position or a safe position to be in. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned a little bit about talking to you know leadership and getting that stakeholder buy-in um, right from the very beginning. You know, what other steps can, in your view, marketing teams, small marketing teams, take to best set themselves up for success um, uh, early on? Yeah, so really your job as a marketer, especially if you're a marketing leader, I think is resource management. It sounds really boring, really unsexy, but your job is to work out what you're not going to do. And that is so important in small teams with limited resources. Like the example you gave of like, you know, are we going to be on Clubhouse? Are we going to be on TikTok? You know, for many businesses, that's a distraction. Mm. Yes, you can do it. But is that aligned to your strategic goals? Is that aligned to your ideal customers and where they hang out and they want to consume your content? Maybe not. You need to make that decision. And I often see people kind of go in all in on multiple different channels and they wonder why things don't work because you're spreading yourself too thin. So you really got to kind of know what you're going to say no to and be very firm in that and don't be tempted to kind of do that whole thing of like, oh, but this channel exists maybe we should try it. That's not a good enough reason. Um, Secondly, I think having repeatable processes is really important. That's just going to kind of speed you up. It's that efficiency piece. So, you know, creating a bank of social media templates that yes, you're kind of going and you'll customize for each social media post, but you've got those templates to kind of kickstart you the same with content. You know, you know how a piece of content is going to be briefed in, you know what the structure is going to be, you, you know the process for getting sign off and approval and getting it live. That That's always something that you can do right from the start that will pay huge dividends as you grow and scale. And then um, finally, don't skimp on good tooling and this sounds a bit counterintuitive especially if budgets are tight but i always think that good tools can save you lots of time and save you lots of money and there's often a temptation of like oh but there's this cheaper alternative that doesn't have all of the features we need but will it will kind of work it'll be a bit hacky we'll have to do this other stuff that's such a kind of um sunken cost fallacy mm. almost you know, invest in your tools, get the best you can afford. And again, that's only going to set you up for success. Yeah, you're spot on. And I was talking to someone actually about this earlier today about about tools and, and, and how getting them right in the early days is going to save you so much heartache yeah. further down the line. Um, I think back to some companies I've worked at where, um, you know, we've been managing things like, you know, well, pretty much our CRM, you know, within spreadsheets um, and or using m- multiple tools across different aspects of our workload. Mm. So like having an email marketing tool and a landing page builder and a social media management tool and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because each of the, you know, the monthly subscriptions are only, you know, 10 to $12 each. But it, when, when you do that, you're hamstringing yourself yeah. from 
um, one, getting a good view on exactly what the hell's happening within your ecosystem, like who's coming into it, how are they engaging with your content, um, how can you nurture them through through the funnel, um, and exactly to, to to your point as well, you know, it's just it's just causing a it's just a you know a sunk cost to a degree, um, and you're just you're just preventing us preventing efficiency um, further yeah. down the line. So investing in a tool like HubSpot. Or or, um, or marketer or something which may seem costly at face value um, is actually going to make that attribution um, automation and kind of customer relationship building process much more efficient uh, as you as you grow and scale. Yeah, and I think it's almost taking that whole whole old adage like slow to hire, quick to fire. Mm. It, it, that's the same with your tooling, you know, slow to make the decision, make sure you have a clear process for making a decision, especially if let's say it's your CRM, you want sales involved in that conversation. Because if you select a tool that doesn't work for them down the line, you're going to have to change it. And that's going to be kind of costly and expensive. But likewise, if you're starting out with something, let's say you're using a you know, an email platform, and it's just not working for you, get rid of it early on don't don't kind of stick with that decision just because you think you've made it and you've kind of got to if that makes sense yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean beyond um you know choosing the right tools and, and being ruthless in your decision around whether or not you carry on with them because it's okay as you say to make that decision that actually you know what this platform isn't what i expected it's not giving me the results i needed and better to cut fast and lose now than you know go mm. another 12 months trying to make it work when i know it's not and just causing myself heartache later down the line you know beyond the tools are there any other major mistakes that you could advise the listeners of b2b better to avoid making when they are a small marketing team particularly early on know your roi and know how you're going to figure that out and what information of what data you need because you know as you grow you'll understandably you want more budget you'll, you'll want more tools you'll want more people and if you can't go to your kind of cfo and say like look like if we put x amount of money in here i'm going to deliver you x amount of money on this side if you can't show a clear process for that and how it's going to work you won't get that budget you won't get those people and i think it's, it's much harder to do attribution down the line too so if you're a um, very kind of lead gen based business let's say your sales cycles are one to two years you know you, you won't close for a long time if you're not collecting that attribution data out front when the deal finally closes in two years you won't have the information of where it came from so how are you going to make better decisions you know if you, if you don't have the data so make sure you're, you're capturing everything you need from the outset it's it's just so true um you know especially in businesses like you say that have got incredibly long sales cycles and you know businesses that are predominantly uh relationship driven in mm. the sense of you know you know SaaS to you know I, I would consider SaaS businesses more marketing driven in terms of their lead generation you know you you create content you create the funnel you pump ads into it and you can kind of see fairly quickly a result on your efforts when you're working big b2b enterprise where sales cycles are you know as you say two three four years um and there's a lot of stuff that's happening um that maybe you don't have visibility on you know contacts or prospects reaching out to leads sorry reaching out to your sales colleagues directly um you know maybe they're meeting at a you know networking drinks when we can do that yeah. again um if, if you don't have the platform to track that like you say, you're going to be in a very tricky situation where two years from now you're sitting down with the CFO and say, saying, I need a, you know, to double my budget. And they're saying, well, what proof have you got that that's actually going to be worth it? Um, so the earlier that you get the system in, that tool in, 
the the more efficient you're going to be in measuring your ROI, right? Yeah, and it's so true with that intangible stuff like events, like networking. If if because you know we we can track ads, we we can track content fairly well, but that intangible stuff, I imagine that actually, especially if you're B two B enterprise, that forms up a significant amount of your pipeline. Well, if you know that anecdotally as a marketeer, but you go to your CFO and say, like, right, I want to double our events budget for next year because, you know, we're all going to be in in-person events, Corona's over, and I know this generates business. They can be like, what's the proof? And if you don't have that, they're not going to believe you. And mm. it, kind of rightly so on their side, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, they, they need the evidence, particularly when you're in that kind of startup environment. Um uh, where every every pound counts, and you know, making a decision whether to invest it in marketing or product, you know, is going to make a is going to make a meaningful difference. I guess um, my question to you, on top of that, then is, you know, how do you get sales involved, right? Because you know, you see in some companies where um, sales are using one set of tools, marketing and using another set of tools, and it's just kind of creating a disharmony. Um, around that whole kind of customer journey and really truly understanding what's what's going on you know do you have any thoughts on how to bring sales into the equation and making sure that you're kind of joining up when when pitching for that marketing budget yeah so you say your sales people are going to be wanting to close business you know that that that's going to be their core focus and they will see everything else as a bit of a distraction and frankly a time sink for them you know their their kpis will be very large that's what they need to deliver so it's about kind of positioning it. I, I always like to do it in a way of like, this is how we're going to help you. This is how we're going to help you close faster, close more. And and it's almost, it, it's not a request then of like, hey, can you come and spend some time with marketing and help us out? It's a, hey, we, we need your time to help you out. And I guess it's like marketing the marketing department for the sales <laughs> team, <laughs> really. We, and you know, buy them coffee, you know, Go and sit with them, go and listen mm. to them on the phone, show an interest. I think that's one of the main things because I think marketeers can be seem quite distant mm. from different departments. And unless you're kind of there in the mix, you know, people help people at the end of the day. And if people feel like you're part of their tribe, they're gonna wanna help you more. So you've got to kind of do that ingratiation piece really. Definitely. It goes back to your original point around kind of stakeholder buy-in. Um, mm. If you can get one salesperson on your side early on, it's just going to make it much easier further down the line to get everyone else on your side. I remember, you know, um, working for a business where, you know, marketing was viewed a little bit as a, um, a, a nice to have. Um, yeah. And we were just the ones, you know, branding pens and, and sending out the odd PR and things like that. Um, and actually, no, we can be so much more, but but no one can see how. So find that one person who does believe in what you're doing and, you know, make the pitch to them. Here's how I can help you. And then as soon as their colleagues start seeing their, you know, they're hitting their target 20, 30, 40% faster um, or exceeding their target by however much, um, they're very quickly going to want to slice the pie as well. Exactly. Exactly. When you're starting out building a marketing function within a business, I think you know it's natural that you or your CEO would expect you to take um, a lot of that effort onto your own shoulders. But it's very it's a very quick road to burnout. Yeah. You know, what would be your advice on terms of the ideal mix between agency, freelance, in-house resources when when you're starting out on that journey of building a marketing function? 
it really depends on the business and actually it depends on your skills. So let's say you have been brought in to start a marketing department. I'd really have a bit of an honest conversation with yourself with like, you know, I'm really good at X, but I'm not so good at Y. So for me, for example, I'm, I love content. That's where I'm really happy. That's where I feel comfortable kind of PPC and that area that's not my jam. So that's a really good signal to either bring in an agency or bring in a freelancer. And I think to go back to the whole kind of stakeholder piece, it's about bringing stakeholders on board with the fact that you are, well, you have options, don't you? You have options to be in-house, freelancer agency, and what's the right mix for your business? You know, agencies are going to be more expensive than freelancers, but come with certain kind of benefits. And it is involving other teams in that decision. Um, I think, you know, personally, in terms of burnout, you've got to, whoever you report into, whether that's the CEO, whether that's the CMO, whatever, you need to have a bit of a frank and honest conversation with them about the capacity you have to deliver. Because I think one of the things is with marketing, to go back to your point about the people who brand pens, everyone's like, oh, marketing, they can help out with, you know, redesigning this document or and it's it's often you know useful important stuff but it's probably not the core focus especially mm. if you're setting out so you need a way of kind of pushing back on those requests and saying you know almost like hey yeah we can absolutely help you with that but that's going to mean we're going to have to drop x over here what's your preference for us to prioritize on you know don't don't make it a, a like yeah we can add it to the top of the pile make it a choice for someone especially if that's someone higher than you kind of asking you to do too much and really protect your time as well. That That's all I can say is I am someone who I need that deep focus time. I can't context switch. I find it really, really difficult. So make sure that that is reflected in your calendar schedule. You know, you block out mornings, you have meetings. I like to have meetings in the afternoon, for example, that just mm. works for me right in the morning, meetings in the afternoon, but find a flow that works for you and don't be afraid of asking for that time either. Even if you're really junior, you know, ultimately it's in the best interest of the company that you can do your best work. So ask for what you need. It's a really interesting point. I think we've all felt the, um, we've all felt the, the feeling around marketing being seen as the kind of miscellaneous task solvers um within within a business like you say you know it can be something like helping us um helping a sales team recreate a deck which is you know on the venn diagram between sales and marketing would probably sit somewhere in the middle though a little bit more on the sales side in my in my experience but then equally you know like we need to um i don't know send even hr stuff right like we need to send out like an internal memo to all of our staff about um you know pension plans or something like that and we haven't got an hr team so marketing will just handle it um and then deal with potentially the fallout of people being angry at the pension plan that we've moved on to um so (laughs) that's so triggering (laughs) oh it's absolutely triggering um what would be your then advice for someone listening to this who's saying yeah absolutely I need to protect my time. Um, I'm getting, uh, I've got maybe, you know, just to flip it on its head a little bit, I've got a CEO or a founder who is a little bit like a magpie. They yeah. see something shiny. They want me to jump on it straight away. I'll use TikTok as an example, though I haven't seen any B2B companies really use that effectively yet. You know, my kid's on TikTok. We need to be on TikTok. Create a TikTok strategy for me. How could, what would be your advice to someone who's on the receiving end of that conversation to go back to the CEO and say, 
you know what, I, this is going to detract my attention away from, you know, X, Y, and Z that we've already agreed we need to prioritize. Yeah, I mean, you, that's literally the message I would give. Like, you know, this is the plan we've all agreed as a senior leadership team or, you know, as a set of departments, adding this into the mix will mean, and I always like to point out something very specific, we can't do this, which we agreed was a core focus. This is the reasoning for high. What would what do you want us to do in light of that information? And I wouldn't be afraid of saying, you know, my recommendation is that we stick to the original plan that we agreed. Um, and I think people, there's this whole thing with titles in organisations and hierarchies. And I, you know, don't always agree with the deference in the way that everyone does it. You know, obviously you need to be respectful, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but you, you can't. You should be able to say, actually, this isn't right. You know, you're the marketing expert at the end of the day. That's why you've been brought in. So feel empowered to go back and say, like, no, in my professional opinion, we should be doing this. Make sure you can back that up with a good argument. You know, that's going to be very helpful. But do do feel like you can do that because mm -hmm. good managers, good CEOs, they will listen. And I guess it kind of goes back to your original point around having the kind of the tooling and, and the systems in place to measure your ROI from, yeah. the very, from the very start because then it's just a, a binary conversation. If we turn off X, like, you know, we're on a run creating webinars and it's generating, you know, 30 leads or something like that per webinar on average. If you then want me to go to do this other thing, which, you know, is going to take my time and energy away from doing the webinars, then you should just expect and know that you are going to see, we, we probably will see a dip in the number yeah. of marketing qualified leads that we've got coming in. So, you know, it's, it becomes more of a rational conversation rather than a emotional, just yeah. pull some extra hours at night and you'll, you'll be able to do it kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I, this is going to probably another conversation, but I am very against kind of hustle culture and, mm. Obviously, there are times when you'll probably want to spend a bit longer to get a project over the line. That should be an exception, not the norm. That shouldn't be expected of you every single day or every single week. And if you're in that kind of organization, know that that's not okay. Well, in my opinion, anyway. But I feel like it really isn't okay. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, CEOs and founders are always going to, um, you know, you know um, most of them are going to want to burn the midnight oil because it's their it's their baby, it's their business, and and they're yeah. the ones ultimately responsible for it. But to um to 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 attach that kind of mentality to all of your employees um, all the time is a very quick way, uh, in my experience, to to see a lot of churn. But hey, that could be a whole different podcast episode, and maybe <laughs> maybe a rabbit hole we go down another day. One thing I do want to touch on that you just that you just made me think about when you start talking about titles is. Um, do you feel that the first marketer should be on the leadership team within a company? Yeah, I, I do. And I do think marketing needs that kind of board level, senior management level representation, because this will allow for a that kind of stakeholder management, stakeholder alignment piece that will be a lot easier. And B, it puts marketing almost kind of up there in the same importance as sales or operations or finance where it absolutely should be so yes um i think if you're uh, i see a lot of companies bring in fairly junior marketeers as the first marketing hire i don't always think 
that is the best thing. That's a very difficult, I've, I've been put in that position before and I found it really hard. Mm. Um, so, I mean, what I would do is if I was in that position again, I would ask how can we get marketing, you know, representation on the board? Even if that's not from me as a junior employee, can we have someone there who knows what the hell marketing is? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose the the flip side of that is: Do you ever see businesses that um, are in a kind of a, they're in that kind of startup um, part of their journey, and instead of bringing someone super junior, they bring in someone super super senior um, as their first marketing hire, um, who perhaps has come from you know a Fortune five hundred company or something, yeah. and you know is an introduction via the board um, and looks really good in the press release, but actually hasn't got that hands-on experience of actually running not running executing marketing uh marketing campaigns um is that something you ever see yeah definitely and again it's 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 kind of the different end of the spectrum and a different set of problems um i've i guess personally i've always prided myself on the fact that i am someone who can be that strategic kind of level but i can tactically muck in and get stuck in with the rest of the team because you've you've got to have that understanding of that tactical layer to be able to make the you know it goes two ways and I think there's a lot of people who like strategy because they can kind of sit at the top do the strategy and they never have to be responsible for the outcomes of that mm. and actually putting it in place and I'm always a little bit wary of those people I'm sure in some organisations they do really well they they serve a particular purpose and it's absolutely great but often they are all talk and yeah. no action and that's incredibly frustrating if you are a more junior person on that team because it's like you're telling us to do all this stuff and you have no idea actually how it works and what we need to put this in place that's such yeah. a mismatch so yeah be careful of both ends of the spectrum i would say to riff on this a little bit more do you think that founders and ceos are able to run marketing teams in those early days Oh, it's such a good question. In the early, early, early days, so pre-product market fit, or you're just gaining that kind of initial traction, yes, because a lot of these companies are doing um, what, what I call organic growth, and I don't mean organic search growth in that it's just organic growth of the product. The product might be driving the growth, or you know, the PR they might get from their fundraising might be growing that growth as well. Um, there, there's a certain point, though, where normally that organic growth trajectory slows down starts to plateau and that's a really dangerous time because if the founder or the ceo hasn't got marketing experience but thinks they can do marketing as in like oh it'll be fine like it's easy right it's just going on twitter and tweeting some stuff they're going to have a really hard time um especially if they don't have that kind of strategic understanding of putting together a marketing strategy a marketing plan and all of that so Yes, up until a point, but then unless they are really good marketeers themselves, they need to bring in external people, absolutely, to help with that piece. Mm, yeah, that, that makes total sense. If you if you were in a position where you'd been hired as the, the first marketing hire, who would be the second hire? Who would, be, who would you be trying to bring in um, after you to help you out? Yeah, so this, again, is a bit of an it depends answer, but I mm. think... 90% of the time I would bring in probably someone with a lot of content experience. This is what I did in my previous role, brought in a content executive because we, we knew content was kind of a moat we could build that 
I, you know, the limit of my time limited how much content we could put out. So to have someone to help on the execution and deliverables of that was great. I mean, you may be working in a business where, you know, you can very clearly see a route to market through PPC and that may not be your strength. So it makes a lot of sense to bring in a PPC expert. I mean, an agency as well could probably help out there. But again, it goes back to this whole, like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Try and find someone who compliments you. You're not going to be good at everything. No one is. So having that almost kind of oppositional hire is a great move in those early stages. Mm, yeah, you're 100%. Is there, because you've, we were talking a little bit before the call about, you know, your experience going into companies and, you know, building out marketing functions from scratch is there a particular campaign or kind of activity that you ran in the early days of some of the companies that you've worked at that you can share with us and and the listeners of b2b better um just to help inspire someone who's maybe in the same situation that you've been in the past who uh, has been placed as the first marketing hire wants to get some results on the board um to validate their position and increase investment in in marketing um any kind of campaigns that jump to mind that you ran that um could, could help them do that this is such a cheating answer, but it's absolutely true. Look at what has been working before and do more of that. And I know that sounds really silly, but you know, if you've come into a company and let's say they, they've had a lot of organic growth and a lot of that has been because the founder has jumped on a load of podcasts and done a load of interviews, you know that works. You'll have evidence if that's working. Make sure you maximize that, You know, push that to a lim- its limit. At what point? is that giving you diminishing returns then you move on to the next channel and i think every business will have that kind of idea of like this is probably a really good fit for us so just go in there and do as much as you can obviously you will want to diversify just from a kind of um, making sure you're not putting all your eggs in one basket point of view let's say you know loads of people who got really heavily into clubhouse in the last couple of months and now probably finding "Eh, maybe we shouldn't have gone all in on that and diversified a little but um, yeah, I know that seems like a really silly answer, but honestly, that I, that's some amazing advice I was given and I want to pass it on because it works. And absolutely, and it makes total sense, right? You wanna, you, I think that's the biggest misconception for marketing teams that are just starting out, that the company has never done any marketing. They may yeah. not have had someone who was doing marketing or had marketing in their job title, but from day dot, a company has been doing marketing either in you know that you've got a probably a wealth of sales materials at your disposal that can be repurposed and reused into content your ceo like you say could be very active on social media um or has been put in front of you know journalists by by the board um and and that's yielded some results just like like you said i'm just repeating exactly what you just said the company has done has been doing marketing find what they've done and 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 double down on it um You make such a good point there, though, about like, there won't have been nothing. Nobody operates, no company that is a company with clients and customers and revenue operates in a marketing void. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. Yeah. How would would any customer have ever heard about them? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years? Oh, that is such a good question. I think we are seeing a massive movement towards people being more human or companies, B2B companies being more human and less like corporate robots. And that, that's actually being driven a lot by tech companies. But, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of large corporates now kind of cotton on to the fact that people buy from people, which means we should probably act more like a person as a company or a collection of people than like this weird 
I don't know, like mythical kind of presence. So that's going to be huge. I think in terms of content, there is an explosion of content. Obviously, there is so much content out there on every single platform. And there's going to be a real battle for differentiation and making sure you stand out with something new and something interesting to say. And that's actually probably going to be the biggest challenge for B2B companies in the next five years is having something interesting to say in the first place that hasn't been said before in a million ways that are all the same. So, yeah, that that's probably my two things I'd say on that. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Um, Battle for Talent will be driving a lot of this as well. A lot of the trends we'll see. Um, this is a spillover from the tech world, but I think marketeers, well, you just have to look at kind of job boards and LinkedIn at the moment. Everyone is hiring and good marketeers are really hard to find. So the companies that are able to acquire the best talent to keep them, nurture them, they will have a significant competitive advantage. So expect to see a lot of kind of war over talents happening in the marketing space in the next five years. You will be in demand. That last one's really interesting. And and you said something there that I want to just pick on a little bit, which is good marketers, right? So in mm. your in your world and, and, and the companies that you serve, um, which are you know, early days, um, predominantly um, building out their marketing function. If you could sum up what a, a good marketer looks like as that first hire, you know, what are some of the attributes that you'd expect to see? Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about curiosity. That's super important. Being able to kind of dig beyond the obvious and look at things in a little bit more detail and think like, huh, that's kind of interesting. What happens if we go down this rabbit hole? Also, a really good listener. Um, you know, a lot of marketing is interpreting what other people are saying. And if you're unable to listen, if you're unable to kind of reflect and almost like shut up and sit down and hear what people have got to say, you're never going to be able to kind of interpret what they say because you won't be taking it in. So good listening. Um, also, I guess a bit of a kind of resilient mindset. You will undoubtedly run campaigns. We've all been there. Run campaigns that won't work, that return no leads, and you're like, oh, crap, that was a waste of time. <laughs> but that's part. That's kind of part of the fun of it, really. You know, seeing it's it's not necessarily as crude as like throwing mud at the wall and seeing what sticks. There's a little bit of kind of, I guess, science behind it. But sometimes that's how it feels, and you've got to ride the roller coaster a little bit and kind of pick yourself, dust yourself back off and and get back into it and try something else so it's that keeping on going and if, if people skills you know that this is every every role in the future will, will require and probably does require already really good people skills because working with pe other people is really hard communication is really hard and if you're able to excel at that i mean whatever role you're in you're going to do really really well that last one is particularly true for marketing because, you yeah. know, because it is so subjective, like I would never dream to go and speak to an engineer and say that code you just developed or that code you just written is rubbish because I would have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. But anyone, in my experience, everyone has an opinion on marketing, right? Because you can, you can see it, you can feel it, it's emotional, you know, you, you, everyone can read. Um, everyone can can read copy and say I like the way this is phrased or yeah. this isn't phrased everyone can see an image or an animation and say that looks great or that looks crap um, or watch a webinar and say well the host was rubbish but the guests were okay so those people skills are super important because because you're going to be dealing with a lot of subjective opinions that are going to be thrown your way thrown your way and you need to feel comfortable well 
everyone feels comfortable accepting praise when it comes, but you also need mm. to feel comfortable pushing back when someone says, well, that was rubbish. Well, no, you know, there was a, there was a reason why we did it this way. And here's how it kind of ties into that, that bigger picture around what we're trying to do here. Right back to your point at the very beginning around stakeholder management and just being clear on exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve um, through, through your marketing endeavors. Yeah, hundred percent. Because you're always going to have to be the biggest advocate of yourself and your department and your work. And that is truer in marketing than anywhere else, because you are probably spending a lot of money. You're asking for a lot of resources and people want to see what's come out of it. So this goes back to the understanding your data. So you're able to prove that, but also having a good kind of a good kind of argument and good reasoning for why you've it's what you just said why why have we done things this way well x y and z here we are and it, that that will make your position a lot stronger because it'll be very clear that this isn't just arbitrary this isn't just like oh we decided to stick a logo on a pen just because lol <laughs> um it, it, it's got a reasoning behind it and that and marketing is a skill it is a real skill um and the more I think people appreciate that, the easier our lives will become. But that is the cross we have to bear as marketeers, I'm afraid. And one we will gladly do do so. Um, Bethan, this has been a, f- a phenomenal chat. I've really enjoyed it. As I, as I said before we start recording, this working with tight budgets and, and, and limited resources is something that we both have been through and um, uh, appreciate. And I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Before I let you go, I want to ask you two more questions. One is... Well, I'll start with the first one. Who do you think I should interview next on B2B Better to talk about building up marketing teams and marketing strategies from scratch? So Dale Davies um, would be an amazing person to talk to. I had a really great chat with him the other day. We were just kind of, we we kind of put in a call, chatted shop. Um, He is from, oh my gosh, this is where my my brain is going to fail me. Um, Exposure Ninjas. Um, He's a digital marketing manager there. So I think it would be great if you chatted to him. I will definitely be hitting you up for an introduction to Dale. Um, and finally, where can people find out more about you? Where can they learn more about your services or hear more of your insights? Yeah, so I'm over on uh, bethanvincent.com. Got to have the personal branded domain, right? Um, and I'm on Twitter and on LinkedIn. If you type in Beth and Vincent, you will find me. I'm basically on every single platform using Beth and Vincent. Uh, on Instagram if you like pictures of food that's where you should come and hang out with me and look at pictures of food <laughs> I don't trust anyone who doesn't like pictures of food um, exactly. Beth thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better uh, I've really enjoyed chatting with you no it's been amazing thank you so much for the opportunity and that's it for this episode of B2B Better if you found it useful go ahead and leave a rating a review or just shoot me a DM on Twitter telling me so it will make my day you can find me at Jason R. Bradwell. Also, why not check out my weekly newsletter, The B2B Byte, where I break down marketing strategies and tactics for B2B leaders into fun size, actionable chunks. You can find the link in the description of this episode. If you've got any questions or there is a burning topic that you'd like to hear me talk about on B2B Better, or you'd like to appear on an episode, you can connect with me on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn. See you next time.